we're all artists. The ones that make a living at being an artist are the ones that have the patience to stick with something and the discipline to keep going, even if every day when you come home, you don't look at the pictures and say, this is genius. Um, here I am. I mean, it just opened up my ears in a way that they hadn't been open before. These were my people. It's really weird because I'm not really speaking to you in front of me. But I have to think of you in front of me because if I don't, then I won't be able to speak to you. How you doing? <laughs> Holy moly. Jesus, I uh, I went to the Pride Parade yesterday, you know, for, for uh, gay people, and uh, I don't know who's all included. Lots of people included in that. Everybody, maybe everybody's included. Just have pride in whoever you are, whatever your sexuality might be. I'm not, I, I'm ashamed of my sexuality personally, but uh, I'm drawn towards it unrelentingly. But, you know, we could all learn to have a certain kind of pride in, uh, in our preferences. You're all like, what is he attracted towards? What is he into? I don't know. Nothing, nothing weird. Nothing too weird. Nothing too weird. I mean, what's weird? What's weird? But I had this feeling as we're marching towards, you know, we were like heading towards this, the river, basically. Yeah, we were marching from, from upper downtown towards the river. And we met up with the people right at the very end, sort of. We rode bikes down, me and my buddy Scott. Uh, yeah, yeah, he was on here, Scott for Dead episode, whatever. And we joined up with the people walking towards the river. Uh, and I, I just had this feeling they're going to do this for five, six years, get it really popular. You know, they'll have their corporate sponsors uh, P&G and the other, you know, big Cincinnati companies sponsor it, whatever, Kroger's and uh, Macy's or whoever. I don't know. And get it really, you know, everybody really excited. Oh, you know, wow, we're really accepted here in Cincinnati. And then, you know, the sixth year, everybody marches down and then the gates shut and then the gas turns on. Nope. That's it. We got rid of all the left wingers. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's a very cynical view of this city of Cincinnati. Uh, but there is a strong right wing, borderline fascist mentality. I think that goes on here. Um, I don't want to say that. Let's soften that. Just take what I just said and soften it a little bit. Soften the edges. Uh, but that's what I was envisioning, which is like the lambs to the slaughter. All happy, all shirtless, with our dyed pink hair or whatever. Not me. Other people had the dye. I was shirtless. I was initially, initially. Uh, eventually, I put on a uh, tank top. Uh, but yeah, that was a time. Rode some bikes. By the first first bike ride of the year. I can't say my my tuchus is not a bit sore 
I'm sitting on the seat, but you know, it, it has to build a tolerance. It has to season to the activity. Yeah, it's not summer technically, but it, it is in full swing, whatever you want to call it. And uh, that's exciting. I haven't been swimming yet, uh, but I did visit the Lewis family uh, at the swimming pool when I went to talk to Tabitha Soren Lewis at the Claremont Hotel in Berkeley, Oakland. I don't know where that is, Berkeley or Oakland, what would you say? I stayed there once. They're, they're very, uh, it's, it's a very serious organization, security everywhere. You'll see we get stopped in our conversation. And uh, they have a spa and everything. They kind of make you pay for it when you got, I, I booked the hotel on Priceline. I got like a, just a hot deal, you know, and then you get to the desk and they're like, oh, it's an extra $40 for your spa fee. I'm like, I wasn't anticipating a spa fee, but I took advantage of it. This was a couple years ago. This time I just went, grabbed Tabitha from the pool. We went up to a, uh, I don't know, a meeting conference room. And uh, talk there. If you don't know who Tabitha Soren is, and and uh, it probably comes, it's an age thing. You know, my generation, uh, she was very famous. Uh, she was like the MTV news person. Okay, so and she she had a bent towards political stuff. So she did a campaign called Choose or Lose. I think during the first Clinton, maybe even two two of the Clinton elections or something. I'm not exactly sure on the table. You know, it's it's vague for me because I was pretty young. I mean, I was a teenager, and and uh, so she was a big deal on there. And now doesn't do that. Now does photography for artistic purposes, uh, and also some journalistic photography as well. But I felt really, really uh, fortunate to meet up with her. She's had a very big life. I've met a lot of important people and uh, been involved in a lot of important stuff. I'm hungry. If you're wondering why I'm talking, I'm, just, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten yet today. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. Did yoga. I feel relaxed. I'm settled. I was frantic last night a little bit. I get, I get in a weird space. Here's the deal. I have a lot of projects running around in the universe that aren't settled. I've, I'm in transition mode. I don't know what I'm transitioning into. This is like the story of my life. This is a constant sort of thing, it seems like, to an extent. Other times, I, I, I'm settled and know my direction. Right now, honestly, I don't know what, where my trajectory goes. And I know I have to lean into that. I know I have to let let it be distinguished and decided for itself. Or maybe. I mean, maybe some other people would say, no, you, you know, you have to have your goals and you have to aim towards them and you have to, you know, dart forth in, in a straight line. I, I have been that way uh, at times throughout my life, uh, unquestioning, uh, you know, just following the impulse and going. Right now... Honestly, I, I'm, I feel like I'm being pulled into several directions uh, with my life or that I have several different roads to take. Which one, which one do I take? Which one is the less traveled road? Do I 
keep focusing on why, you know, uh, and, and work it more towards being a, a, an actual band where we, uh, you know, everybody contributes to the situation. It's hard to get it back into that if, if everyone's used to, including me, me sort of doing uh, most of the heavy lifting. Uh, and that's not to say that the other guys are lazy. They're not at all. But when you get used to a certain dynamic, you know, because maybe I was sort of a, a, a control freak, you know, during my 20s. You get used to that dynamic and it's hard to, to pull it back into a different place. Do I do solo stuff? Do I just keep going sort of more deeper into how I've been with why to the point where it's just me? Uh, or, you know, I have, a, I have an album that I've been working on with Serengeti. Do I get into producing for people and writing for people and, and you know, collaborating like that? Do I move to L.A.? And uh, start writing jingles. I'm loving it. That guy made a million dollars. More than a million dollars. I'm loving it. That's not too hard. I, I could do that. Where did, we go? Where did we go with this? What's important to me? My work life? My leisure life? Love life? Is it, I don't have a love life. Do I want one? What am I doing? I'm out there, you know, co-mingling with, with lots of young ladies, texting, sexting, flirting. What is that? Am I avoiding some sort of uh, larger romance in my life? Am I open to it? If I meet someone and it's, it's quote-unquote the one, would I know it? Am I going to settle down? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to raise kids? How will that change my career? How will that change my artistic side when I'm not so self-obsessed and focused on my, on my own work and my own reasons for being here when I'm there for something that came out of my nutsack? Then what? Do I want that? I think I do. I think I do. Actually, I think that's a stage in life that uh, I might settle into in, in, in a very natural way, actually. I'd be a good father, right? Sit down. No, no, no. Nicholas, come here. Come out from between those bushes. No, sit down. What did I just say? What did I just say? Come here. Come here. Sit down. No, no. Randy, eat your vegetables. Eat those Brussels sprouts. I just feel like it would come naturally to me. That's a stage I want. I want love. I want a family. Money, I worry about that. You know, security. Health. You know, is my, is my Crohn's going to get better? Am I, is there going to be a point in my life where I don't have to be on some insane diet? And, and medicine, you know, where I can travel the world freely, first class, because I'm wealthy, and uh, eat, eat fucking street pho in Vietnam, 
eat octopus balls in Japan. You know what I'm saying? Oh, look, there's a crepe street vendor. Look, this guys he's wearing a black and white striped shirt. Pardon me, monsieur. May I have a crepe? Nutella. Is that going to be a part of my life? Casual? Walking down a boardwalk somewhere? Or am I going to continuously be, you know, trapped? And I'm not, this is not a pity party. I'm, I'm fine with where I'm at. I think I have a beautiful life, all right? I have a nice house. Live in a nice little neighborhood where a lot of my friends live. Granted, it's in Cincinnati. The winters are evil here. But you know what? If I keep doing shows, keep doing solo shows and uh, everything like that, if I get some publishing checks here and there, I could rent a place in uh, Florida for the summer. I mean, for the winter or Los Angeles for the winter. And I might just do that. I've got a fine life. I, I just, there's, there's just questions about trajectory. Where do I go? What, what's next? How do I know? No one can tell me. I know that. And it's a good problem to have. I have a lot of options, you know? Is there, is there a wrong option? Can I do everything? I would like to do everything. like to work with the band, do solo stuff, work with Getty, Every year, have a new person that I that I make an album with, and get some commercials. You know, some sort of commissions for that for money. God, I or go write with you know, Lord, write a song for uh, Miley Cyrus. You know, I don't have any connection to Miley Cyrus at all. By the way, oh, where do we go? Where do we go from here? Say, I, yeah, whatever. Look, I, I, maybe I just don't dwell on it. The whole point of going to yoga this morning was to just forget about all this. But it starts to, it's been seeping into me since I've been home from this, this solo tour. I have, I have had a restless feeling. And with that comes a bit of diarrhea. Okay. <laughs> That's just a fact of my life. That's just a fact of my life. You know, let's solidify things physically and and metaphorically in my life and uh move forward in a confident way not necessarily that i have to know where i'm going but just feeling okay in the unsurety fuck i've just i'm uh, now i'm just it's like i'm just talking to the wall uh about life and I, and i apologize you don't need to listen to all that but that's me thinking out loud, okay? Um, I had a great conversation with Tabitha a few weeks ago, and I'm going to share that with you now. Maybe she'd have some career advice for me. Tabitha, if you're listening to this, go ahead and uh, send me that uh, email or, or uh, give me that phone call and tell me what the hell I need, I'm doing with my life because I don't know. Frankly, I don't know. Okay, let's get into this conversation with Tabitha Swan. We're going here already. We've, right. we've been going, but I won't put any of that on. Don't worry. <laughs> you little sneak. You got. You have to. You know. You have to just go. You have to be ready. Now, I'm not. I'm not a journalist. Yep. I'm a conversationalist. Uh huh. So this is more. 
you, you're free to add, ask anything to me. Excellent. Yeah, it's 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 open open season for. Whatever. I would imagine the people listening to your podcast are more interested in you than the people no, you no, interview. They love anyway. my guests. They love my guests because I, I only choose guests that I'm interested in, and uh, yeah, they relate to that. Okay. Uh, first of all, should we say how we met? Sure. Okay, you you talk. I met you because you were in love with my. Nanny. That's right. Yes. That's right. You were high school sweethearts, I think? Something like that, yeah. And um, I felt like you were a very grounding force in her life, even if you did had hair that looked like <laughs> needed a trim. I Do I still currently have that? No, no, no. Well, I can't really tell under the hat, but it used to be very round, sort of rounder. like a Bozo the Clown sort right. of thing. Right, right. Which I thought looked funny yeah it did it, it, everyone thought it looked funny, <laughs> yeah but she was very beautiful and i thought you guys were good together yeah uh, you know we had our time we had our time yeah seems yeah. done yeah yeah and uh, then you wrote some songs and that she lived in our house or part of our house in the guest cottage and uh you wrote some songs there, and then you let me take your picture a couple times, which was very generous when I needed models. And uh, you included my two-year-old daughter, sampled her voice, and uh, she coined, put it on she one coined of your the songs. title of that song. Actually, "Yo Yo Bye Bye." She said that was because it, it, it was very appropriate to the song. She, uh, she had said that on the. I was like sitting there with her, recording her, and. Uh, no, Anna, Anna told me this, actually. She said, she was talking to Dixie, and Dixie said, where are yo-yo? You know, and uh, this was after we broke up, and Anna was, like, crying or something, and she said, yo-yo, bye-bye. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I just yes. thought that was so tender. That's yeah. deep. Yeah. Uh, so what, what have you been working on lately? Uh, I'm a photographer, and I have been... I should have prefaced with that. Yes. No, 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 that's all right. Um, I have been working pretty steadily for 10 years on a project involving minor league baseball players, and I have absolutely no interest in, no interest in sports, but the, the series is about Americans' relationship to fantasy, and I think... Um, the way we treat our athletes in this country sort of connects to that very directly. So I started with a draft class of 2003 of the Oakland A's, and I've taken their picture every year. And now some of them are coal miners, one's homeless, another one runs a dog grooming studio. So I track them over time, but I also um, connect to Americans' uh, belief in a whole bunch of myths like that failure can lead to greatness, the romanticism of the restless wanderer, um, that money leads to personal happiness. The players deal with all these things, and at a very young age, in their 20s, really, by the time they're 30, they're usually retired. So that's one project. And then I have another project that's a bit of a secret, and that um, my gallery's probably, my gallery in LA will show in the next few months. Um, and it has to do with technology, and it's very abstract, and the photographs look kind of like paintings. And um, I'm still trying to put together this book with 
the work that I showed last year, uh, which is called Running, and I'm still sort of chipping away at uh, a couple of missing pieces in that book. Those look so good. I looked at those on your Thank website. Thank you. Yeah. I like them, too. Um, I'm a little sick of them, but if I just pace myself, I can pull off the, the holes missing in the book, I think. What? How do you know when a hole needs to be filled? How, what... what makes a work feel like it fits with other works? Well, um, there are so, the, the book process is different than the editing process I would use for an exhibit. So um, there are pieces that work for an exhibit that don't sing as, uh, as well on the page. And in terms of the running book, there... It's like music, like live and recorded music in a way. How so? For my brain to I would to it. I would guess so, but yeah, I there's, couldn't. So, there's certain music that only works really on a recording, and certain music that only works live because it has a lot of samples or a lot of extra instruments, or or or, or you need it could quiet. be that it could you be that it, it could be it, it could be an intense quietness that you can only achieve in, in a sort of calm studio setting. It could be that you need a ton of different layers that you can't really achieve in a live setting. So. I don't know how that would relate necessarily to the visual art photography stuff. Uh, Hi. Hello. Can I help you folks? Yeah. Hi. Just... I'm a member. I was just using this room for... you can't. you got to go through our sales and catering office. Okay. These are booked for... Okay. Okay. Here till 5. Okay. All right. Okay. It was empty. They're actually on a break. They'll be right back. I can show you. You want to show them the alumni office? They That'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Thank, Thank you. Something quiet. Yeah, just a quiet space. That's cool, but it was too no, this is good. This is all good stuff. I'll make sure I reserve it. How long do you guys need the room for? Uh, about f- probably 45 to an hour. Okay. If that's all right. Yeah, no problem. Hey, Perfect. You Thank welcome. you very much, guys. All right. Uh, yeah. So you were talking about the difference between live and recorded music and, but but that's beside the point let's I want to know about the the what makes something uh, fit in a book or, or, or in a gallery okay well I, to answer this question I have to be pretty specific to the project and if you haven't seen the pictures I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be but right. I will tell you anyway um, so the running pictures all have a different protagonist a different runner and generally speaking, they're all in a completely new environment. So in an exhibit, you move from one sort of master exterior um, establishing shot, if you will, like for a movie, to another. And if and they're four by six feet. They're huge. So right. there's all these details to know. Well, a lot of it must, must be the size. The that scale, makes big, the scale, scale yeah. makes a big difference. Um, in a book... If every time you flip the page, you have a new place, new person, it's it's kind of and they're doing the exact they're they're all running, they're all doing the same motion. Right. It not only gets redundant, but it's a little jarring because you're not delving into a character, you're not getting to know an right. atmosphere or an environment. Right. So I felt like I wanted to flush out those pictures with some images that represent how it feels to be running, how it feels to be in a fight-or-flight response from the point of view of that person. So what I've been doing is running with the camera, and so the images in between are kind of 
um, some of them are out of focus. Some of them are frantic and of trees or like, you know, if you've ever had a panic attack, they're uh, not perfectly exposed. And if you put those pictures into they're a frame... They're spacers for all intents and purposes, in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they create, an, create a trajectory, I'm feeling, yeah. uh, or I'm hoping. Um, in an exhibit, if I put those pictures in a frame, it's sort of like, what the heck is that? Right, you know, does right. it deserve to be for sale with the rest of these images? Right, um, right. You just... And so to, I don't want to put anything that seems like spacers in a frame, but in a book, you really do need these pauses yeah. to move you from one place to the other. Right. So that's a very specific thing to the runners. Um, what, what, what makes you choose a subject? I think, okay, for the, for the baseball guys, I, I imagine you got into that from that New York Times article. Well, I mean, the reason I got, I did a story, a cover story for the New York Times magazine on these players that many years ago, but even before that, my husband wrote a book called Moneyball, and so I met Billy Bean, who runs the A's, and gave me access to anybody I wanted. Right. Um, so it's a lot better picture when I'm allowed to be in the dugout with the player than having to be at a photo well at a major league stadium with a super zoom lens right. with the rest of the sports photographers. What initially interested you, other than the fact that it's a bunch of strapping mm. young men? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I, that part of it, I can honestly say, they, they don't look like my wheelhouse. Okay. Like, but I, I understand that... Or did you have an assignment at first? It was no, I, I liked the guys, and I knew, and Michael thought about writing another book, and I thought, there's a photographer named Renika Dykstra, she's Dutch, and she has done a series, several series over time with subjects. Uh, one girl from when she was about five till she had her own child. Then there was a series of Israeli soldiers in a very short amount of time where they, she shot them before they went to into their training and after. Okay. And the psychological change on their faces is unbelievable. I don't think my pictures sing in the same way as hers. She also did Spanish bullfighters. So there's like no blood, no sweat, clean cut. And then after they're like wiped out, blood dripping down their nose and, you know, completely wasted. Um, but my, you took that and did that over 10 so that, years. So that is an idea. That That is what interested me initially. But when I put those pictures up, just portraits, just headshots... These guys are in pretty good shape still. You know, even the homeless guy, he's still yeah. cut. Um, so I didn't get as far as that other photographer but did. That's not, but that, maybe that's not what your shit is about. Right. Maybe so yours, it, yours it is transformed about, you said into it's about something the fantasy. Else. They're yes. having this hope for, like, I'm going to be a major league player. I'm going to be, you know. But that's a good example of how, as an artist, we're all artists. The ones that make a living at being an artist are the ones that have the patience to stick with something and the discipline to keep going even if every day when you come home you don't look at the pictures and say this is genius you 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 know it goes it ebbs and it flows and you know you have other projects going on at the yeah. same time it's about I certainly the process wasn't. it's about what you're learning from the process yeah. that's what i think so that's you know now the baseball players say like well why are you shooting us they weren't in that we're not in that draft class I'm like, well, now I'm after an emotional truth that transcends those 12 guys. So I'm, I was in Stockton twice this week till midnight, 97 degree heat in the dugout of the Stockton ports. 
And um, but it's all it's all A's minor leaguers or well or, uh, only because that's the easiest access. Nobody else is going to let me sit in the dugout with them. Right. Um, you know, I've had an easier time. There's one player in particular. I have an easier time getting to the Oval Office than I do to him. Right. Um, but from Ohio, by the okay, way. Okay, which makes me want to <laughs> want to shoot him more. Uh, no, actually, because of my work at MTV, I'm. You know, my my patience for dealing with celebrities, managers, agents, public relations people, I, I feel like, man, I'm just still tapped out. Like, I have no yeah. patience for that stuff whatsoever. So it actually makes me less inclined to want to shoot them, yeah. not more, because it's hard, much harder to make an interesting picture of someone who's used to being in front of the camera. It takes me like 20 minutes just to get that baseball card face off their right, right. face. Um, How do you do it? I make fun of myself. I'm self-deprecating. I stumble. I, you know, kind of disarm them with. I don't bring an assistant. Yeah. I make it intimate. Um, I've known them since, you know, at this point, ten or twelve years. Um. So these guys sometimes it's funny because they've been in this trajectory of being a famous person, and then they see me, and they knew I knew them before they were a famous person, and then they don't know which person to be, and that awkwardness is really interesting on camera. They they develop personas, you think? Oh, as, who doesn't? I mean, right. we all do. Jesus, right. my twelve year old, you know, she has developed a persona on Instagram and uh, YouTube in a yeah. way that. If I did that as a 12-year-old, that would I, I just can't imagine you in the in puberty when you're trying to figure out who you are to begin with to also have to come up with this basically this avatar. Yeah. Like it's it is, a weird it is not world. wise. But the more I tell her it's not wise to have that stuff out there. Yeah. Where, I mean, I don't even like to look at old diaries. They're cringe making. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if you if they were like on YouTube it's and a different Instagram. World. It is a different world. And and I think that you know, her generation, they'll have to adopt a different attitude to privacy because they just don't have, they won't have it. No. You know what I mean? What? Let's go back to where, where you were at when you were 12 and what the hell, like, your trajectory and how you got to all the different things that, that's when a lot of stuff. I was 12, but. I was the tallest girl in junior high with the biggest feet. Uh, no boy wanted anything to do with me. I was probably on the Gulf Coast of Florida. My dad was in the military, You're so moving around a lot. I moved around a lot. Um, and where I lived on the Gulf Coast of Florida, it was nicknamed the Redneck Riviera. Mm-hmm. There were no black people in my neighborhood. There were fathers of friends who were in the KKK. Um, a lot of people in the oil business. I f- was in a prom dress with ho- a hoop skirt in it three times in three years. Why? What the, what? Because they had proms for seventh, eighth, and ninth graders, okay. which is insane. Um, is this and, rela- maybe related to like the southern? Uh, yes, yeah. every, all the girls basically wanted to be Scarlett O'Hara, right? Which is not the moral of that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, I was a fish out of water, and then I do I do remember MTV coming on the TV channel. And they played ACDCs for those about to rock. And I just thought, oh my God. Thank you, Lord. That hits you? Yes. And, and, the, I mean, the, and the cable company shut it down. Like, there were enough Bible-thumping protesters. That, that whole area? They, mm-hmm. they, oh, my and God. And it was the first political event I ever went to was, like, a protest to get MTV back. Okay. 
God, so I know it sounds really corny so now, but at the time, you I mean, of course you can't imagine what it was like to be in the Redneck Riviera with the no feminists around, never mind any other skin color. What, what, so, what did your, how did your dad feel about you going to a protest about they, that? They didn't they mind. Had, it was just music. Okay, okay. So they weren't, uh, they weren't religious people? We're Catholic, but they were not... Um, like these were more evangelistic. The, the yeah. powerful people in the community were more ev- evangelists. And right. that was like my parents are sort of reserved New Englanders. Like that. So they, they came from New England and moved yeah. around. You were born in Texas, I read on the I, internet. I was, That's what yes. it said on the internet. Spent six months in San Antonio, it's true. Okay, and then you just basically. Every three or four years. So I lived in. Around. Germany. I lived in the Philippines. My parents were from Rhode Island, and so if anything, I, that was the geographic constant. Okay. Now I feel like I've lived in New York City longer than any other place besides Berkeley. Um, so I think my my real like emotional and um, intellectual home is New York City. Okay. But my where I live is Berkeley. I feel very comfortable here too. But. Um, I, I yeah I, I New England's a little pinched for me. They're yeah. a little crabby for me. Do you ever think about going back to New York? Yeah, uh, but not I mean, with obviously kids. You've got a whole family, but yeah, I I I associate New York with such incredible freedom yeah. and spontaneity that when I have brought children with me, I'm frustrated the entire time because I can't do what I want to do. Right. And so I've decided New York is a kid-free zone. What about when they grow up and you and Michael yeah, maybe. retire and move around? And, maybe. Yeah. Once I get over, you know, the, the totally excited situation I'm going to be in when I have an empty nest. Right. <laughs> it'll be like full-on party for the kids five are gonna years. The kids are going to listen to this. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's, get you, let's get you to New York. Mm-hmm. What... So, so I applied for college and I got accepted to NYU. And okay. I, I, what, what, what were you like in high school? I was basically kind of two things in high school. Did you grow I, into your feet? Yeah. And did the kids? The, the, I mean, yes. I, I, eventually, I I did. I I think I I didn't grow. I mean, my feet are still big. I still have like a canoe sized foot and and doesn't look big. As my Pilates person says, um, freakishly long toes. But um, the the boys got taller. Everybody else got right, taller, so right. that was good. So five nine didn't stand out so much. So you got popular with, with in, in 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 that world. What happened was I cared so much in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, about what people thought of me, and it provided me with absolutely no happiness. That when we moved to Virginia, uh, Hampton, Virginia, which is near Norfolk, um, I really felt like. I remember making a mental decision as we were driving there that I was just going to be what I wanted to be. I had a clean slate. I could start over, and I wasn't going to care as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It seemed like a recipe for unhappiness to be that uh, self-conscious. So the atmosphere of Hampton was safe enough that... Um, you couldn't really go off the rails completely, but um, I could. How do I put this? So I, I felt like it was really important to my parents for me for me to make really good grades, and they had 
slightly conventional approach to um, someone being a success and they really wanted me to go to a good college and so I would hand them straight A's and I was captain of the cheerleading squad and by handing them over sort of conventional ways to show that you're a successful well-adjusted teenager I was able to sort of sneak out and go to Norfolk and yeah. go to bars and see amazing bands and um, was, you know, was it and easy? college radio was also just coming okay. into you know access I just I mean made you know I'm sure other places had access to college radio but for me I discover the violent femmes and the replacements and all these amazing bands Susie Sue and the Banshees and and um, before that, I had definitely been listening to just you know AOR radio, so it was. So you got into very, the quote underground. Very, yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. At that time, REM, and I, I just felt like the these were my people, and I felt like there were more of them in New York, and so mm-hmm. that was a real draw. And I got there, and I started working at the radio station, and I worked at the newspaper. I, I was always good at writing, so I just figured I would be a journalist, and um, I wanted to be an actual writer. My dad said, well, you know, journalists actually get a paycheck. Right, I was like, right. yeah, okay, I'll do that instead. That yeah. sounds good. Um, so what, 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 what did you go to NYU for initially? Journalism and you, politics. You went for journalism yeah. and politics. Okay. I mean, I got there, and my freshman year, I had an internship over the summer at CNN. Okay. Like, I just did How not did that happen? Around. You, you were just... Was it was it your ambition, or was it you I were just... I just asked my professor. I mean, I applied to a zillion newspapers... All of them said no. We only give seniors internships, and CNN was like enough of a new situation where they were not unionized, and they could take as many interns as possible. And as soon as I started working with pictures, visuals, I just thought, "Oh my God, this doesn't even seem like work. This is it. Here I am. Uh-huh. I can tell a story." Uh, were you also in it already interested in politics? I think so because I lived in a lot of. You know, I lived in Germany. I lived under Marcos in the Philippines. My dad's job, being in the military, was very connected to politics and current events, and so uh, that seemed that seemed appealing to me. And I, I mean, entertainment journalism certainly seemed like something I could do, and I did do it, but I didn't take it as seriously as the other. It didn't seem like something I would do as I got older. You, when you say, you mean like what you did for MTV? Well, that or just, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Rick Rubin, the music producer, and how I met him was the Washington Square News sent me to interview him as a, he was like kind of an alumni at NYU, okay. and, and we've been friends ever since. So that was entertainment journalism. I went on, you know, we went and saw where the Beastie Boys recorded their first record, Dude, and LL Cool J. I, I and, heard a rumor that you were on that video. Oh, yeah. You would <laughs> never be able to pick me out, though. That, I how did swear that to God, that, that I am through, like through Rick Rubin. Yeah, okay. I was meeting him for lunch or something. And he's and he had me meet them there, and they needed a crowd shot. And I have big blonde heavy metal hair. Okay, I'm in a heavy metal leather jacket, and you and I'm the only person in the scene where they're throwing pie like this whipped cream stuff at each other who doesn't get clobbered with a pie. And my hair is, I mean, I, I'm swinging <laughs> it, and it's like you can Take measure the, the circumference. The yeah. It has its own um, gravity. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. It's a big, frightening, frightening picture. But um, the reason I was ducking so badly, or so craftily, rather, is that there was no budget for this video whatsoever. 
Um, the people involved were very cheap. Did I say what video it was? It's oh, Fight, Fight for Your, your Rights Party. Party for the Beastie Boys, yeah. And they, t- they got whipped cream from the back of a supermarket that had been thrown out because it had expired. So Sour. the smell of this stuff was like, I did not want it on me. We were going someplace right yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And it was unbelievably rancid. Yeah. But the video... As cheesy as it is, it's funny to watch, and it was entertaining, and it I took mean, off a, like a rocket. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a hallmark, you know what I mean? It's a, right. I mean, it didn't seem at the time. It looked like boy, this is really amateur. Yeah, and it does still look amateur, but yeah, that's like the that's sweet. It's sweet almost. And so, at that point, was that sort of your first? Was Rick Rubin your entrance into like the the? scene like the music people and all that stuff not really i mean i had a friend named phil morrison at nyu who um worked for a guy named bob lawton who ran a management company which uh, tour managing which ended up uh repping sonic youth and nirvana and you know all these amazing bands and I think that he was more responsible for me ending up at CBGB's as often as I did or seeing cool bands like Yola Tango, who naturally I wouldn't have been drawn to. Right. Um, so uh, we actually hated each other at first when we met. Because, Bob Lawton or no, Phil? No, me and Phil okay. Morrison, who we turned out to be best friends. But at the beginning, I thought he, because he was from the South and I had such bad uh, associations with the South, I and he listened to all these Bands. I thought he was kind of a music snob, and I was sort of still into ACDC and Aerosmith and, God forbid, even Billy Squire. And Phil just thought that was like I had my head screwed on backwards, and yeah. I thought the same of him. But we would get into these verbal fights about music. We took it that seriously, and um, we both finally had influence over each other. Cool. So you had, yeah, someone to whatever the so opposite of community Cash it out at, with, yeah. yes. Um, um, and he's a movie director. Yes, he directs movies and commercials and okay. music videos. Okay. He just directed a video. Well, did he so, start with music videos? Is that? That's a good question. I suppose yes. He just did the super chunk video for um, me and you and Jackie Matu and um, and Dixie's in it and Quinn's in oh, it. Oh, cool. And um, I'm in it, and it's everybody holding up their favorite record LP from whichever one you wanted to pick and. Of course, Quinn and Dixie got, and Walker got stuck with my old, like, Pat Benatar, Judas Priest, Hellbent for Leather. And, right. Um, anyway, it's pretty... They don't it's have a, their own LPs, I guess. Dixie does now for Christmas. Oh, nice. She got... Um, but she went and bought, you know, an L.A. LA Goulding, and she bought um, good good music, but not not old school stuff. Mm-hmm. I think she bought... We have... And, we, and she bought the Liz Fair um, mm-hmm. Exile... Exile and Guyville. Cool. So that's that. So okay, so you're you're in this world now, and you're friends with all these people. It sounds so romantic when I when I think about it in that. But I guess you know any era can feel that way. But it did feel like a good era, though. Yeah, it did feel like you couldn't walk down the street without running into Lenny Kay or Patti Smith. And yeah, I was friends with Jim Carroll, and you know, just like it. Did you, you did know how powerful? Like, did. did did you have a feeling that all these people were such powerful personas at the time, or, or only yes, in retrospect? Yes, I mean, Kim Gordon scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Still does. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it just opened up my ears in a way that they hadn't been open before. And, and working at the radio station, 
No, I... I so you had a show? You were a DJ? I had an AM show. Okay. I was that bad. Okay. Um, I just didn't have the pipes. And, and, I mean, at that time, it took some severe coordination. You had to... I mean, it was still using records. Sure, sure. Um, so... I just wasn't all that good, but I would help other people who did have popular FM shifts when they had live interviews. So, you know, Stiv Bader would come in and like leftover Sex Pistols, leftover Clash members. Um, you know, I was just in awe. That was like they were totally where, amazing to me. Where were they at? Like FM? They would come or to. Like that, they, no, they would come to WNYU. Okay. Okay. Um, and so there's this amazingly just drop dead attractive DJ named John Fox who I he could sounds not, attractive oh my god um I mean my stomach would just be fluttering the whole time he had absolutely no interest in me whatsoever so what you said you said the baseball players were not your wheelhouse what what's your wheelhouse no I kind of like um a little scruffy long hair I'm looking kind of scruffy roll. with long hair right now <laughs> Uh, oh, well, well it, and also my age always helps too, Yoni. Your age helps what? Well, you said that you were looking scruffy with long hair. Yeah. Yeah, but you're like twenty years younger than me. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not twenty years younger than you, but maybe. Yeah, like I mean, also the baseball players—they are. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I literally was in the shower with them with a camera. Right. But not that—that that didn't bother me. Yeah. Um, Did it bother them? I guess so. I don't know. I'm sure, I think for them, they thought it was funny. Like, they were always trying to unnerve me with their little... Yeah. Like, they put, if I had a dollar for every picture I have with a baseball player with their tongue in their ma- mouth making that, like, blowjob yeah. yeah. thing. And I didn't know... I didn't get it for a while. But now when I look at that, I look through these old contracts, sheets of 10 years of film pictures of them, like, it... Like, they're five years old, basically. Right, right, like, right. why are you doing this? Film is so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> why are you giving me the blowjob thing in the right. picture? <laughs> I can't use like, this. Like, what are we going to do with that? Right, I'm right. not going to give you a blowjob. You don't want me to give you a blowjob. You're ruining the picture. Right. I'm not going to be able to use it. Like, but anyway. So, so if it's... Um, how did Michael come in? Like, he's not scruffy. No, he's not. He's so preppy. Yeah. Um, he was the most interesting mind I'd ever met. I mean, yeah. he's he's very traditionally handsome. Yes. And, and he's undeniably extremely charismatic and interesting. Yeah, he's and, yeah. unbelievably great. That said, when I... I... Um, I can't imagine this is going to be interesting to your listeners, but... I will tell you anyway. I was working on a campaign called Choose or Lose, which was a political, uh, the political coverage for MTV. If my listeners don't know what that is, you're an idiot. It's kind of like Rock the Vote. Or you're young. Or you're really young. And my husband was working for a very uh, underread but incredibly influential, you know, they have 100,000 of the most important people in the country reading it, and that's it, a magazine called... Um, the New Republic. So, in the summer of... No, in the early part of 96, I think, I was covering the presidential campaign, and I was in Seattle, and um, we were registering people to vote, and my husband decided he was going to do a story for the New Republic on young people in politics. Not her husband yet. Not my husband yet, that's right. His name is Michael Lewis. And so they sent him to Seattle, and... I was flying to Seattle for the same thing, 
and they said, will you do an interview with Michael Lewis? And I had been reading his coverage, which was hysterical, really funny, nothing I could ever do on television because it was, had way too much opinion and judgment in it. Um, it was totally biased, but not for any particular party, just making fun of politicians in general or the process. And I did not want to be the butt of his jokes, so I was sort of ambivalent about doing it. I wasn't... So I gave him all these stipulations. Well, like, you interview me when I get off the plane. I have to eat anyway so he can join me for dinner. But then he's not allowed to come to my shoots. Did you already have a crush on him from his writing, in a way? No, because I or, imagined or him to be like a hundred... Uh, like a journal... Like a, he was so established. Yeah. I just imagined that he was like some crusty old guy. Like yeah. all the other journalists who had interviewed me from print... And they were inter- interviewing you as MTV persona. That's right. They yeah. wanted to... I mean, I was... The MTV marketing and promotions department, which was twisting my arm to do the interview with Michael, you know, say, he really wants you to do this. It's really important to his story that he interview you. You're the face of MTV, etc. Um, they, they really had lined me up. I mean, I had done so many interviews. It was exhausting. It was yeah. taking away every moment I had that I wasn't doing my own work. I was promoting their brand and MTV and Choose or Lose and having to explain what we were doing there, etc. Which was exhausting at a certain point. Yes. So, um, not that I'm camera shy or a diva, but at some point you lose energy to do oh, your absolutely, own interviews. Absolutely. You know, you would know. Yeah. So, um... So I made it very hard, and and I got there, and we went, and I was late, of course, because the plane was late, and we got on enormously well. He made me laugh. He was so funny, so interesting. Um, I just couldn't believe it, and I yeah. was actually dating. I had just sort of made a serious commitment to someone in New York, and... Well, a rock and roll guy? No, no preppy guy, um, model kind of looking guy, but not a model, law degree, I won't say his name because he's kind of from a prominent family, but I just really decided like, okay, he, you know, we're going to try this and I got to Seattle and changed my mind. I was like, if there's A-list guys like Michael Lewis running around, what am I doing Forcing this other relationship, like right. it was like two, you know, a circle and a square, really. Um, was, and was Michael already so, interested in you? Was he hitting on you? No, of? I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah. I didn't think of it that way. I just was so excited. I mean, it was like meeting some great friend. Yeah. And because he was preppy, I don't think I thought of him in this sexualized context. Right. I mean, definitely sparks were flying, but. He had short hair and probably a light pink button down on right. it. I mean, just <laughs> right. like those two, to me, don't equate. Yeah. So, but I still went home and broke up with the other guy because it seemed like that was here and there's these other guys like this and surely I can meet some other guy like that. Right, you had seen beyond the... Uh, I Yeah, uh, yeah. I was like, wow, okay. Um, but it turned out to be actually a real thing. And Michael, um, I think says that, you know, he he knew immediately, but I don't know if that's the case. Did he keep calling um, you, though? But the, the, but the fu- yes, but the funny thing was, is that he didn't actually want to interview me all that badly. He had called MTV and said, can I get on that choose and lose bus? I want it to be part of my story. And they forced me on him. I see, I see. So it was totally like when we got engaged, we sent the publicist flowers. Right, Because right. she was the one who kind to of... To promote mani- the brand mani- or... Mani- or- 
Or you think that she had an idea that you might get along with him? Whatever she... No, she was more about placing MTV yeah. in every possible yeah. story she could possibly place us. But it, if it wasn't for her determination, we never would have sat down together. Right, right, right. So it's just ironic. Interesting. Um, but let's let's anyway, go back that's a little a bit. Very that's long a story. that's a great story. How we met that's a story. beautiful story. That's a beautiful so, story. Three children and sixteen years later, we're still making it work. Yeah, yeah. It seems seems great. Um, let's go back though. So you started. Uh, well, we we were just at where were we at? Like uh, record uh, radio stations, things like that. Yeah. Phil. Mm-hmm. The music scene music in New York scene. City. In yeah. So I was there in. Um, 89 is when I graduated from college, and um, 91 was when I started working at MTV. But I had worked, that while I worked at CNN, um, I, during the summer, I, I got a job in the fall being a production assistant at MTV just for extra money. Okay. Uh, literally, they paid me minimum wage, but... Might as well get minimum wage there. And you were, what, calling locations and stuff no, like that? No, I was or? mainly screening tape, looking, okay. logging tape, setting up interviews. Um, and then as a as a kind of a little gift at the end of my term there, they had me interview this band that MTV was only interviewing so they could get an exclusive to somebody else, like Michael Jackson's new video, or they were doing this record company a favor right. by interviewing this really... Scruffy, sort of high maintenance, quasi heavy metal band, and I went to CBGBs, and they were Guns N' Roses. Okay, and I was like working it through my head. I'm like, okay, same label as Michael Jackson. Well, it it couldn't have been Michael Jackson because I think it was Geffen that they were on. Okay, so but it was somebody like that. It was definitely yeah. a trade. MTV yeah. didn't have much interest, and Axel was super flirtatious with me. And Slash was a real dick. So it's just so funny. He wouldn't like. He wouldn't put the whiskey bottle out of the shot. He wouldn't take off his sunglasses. He wouldn't move his hair out of his face. And then when he did, there were all these whiteheads on his forehead because where how he uh, would wear that top hat. Right, you know? right. Yeah, the it greasy was like, hair and his. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. put the bangs back. You know, <laughs> so foul. Yeah. And Axel the whole time was being the guy who was like trying to compensate for the drugged outness of his bandmates and their sort of sullen uncooperativeness. Wait, what were you doing in the situation you were I was an inter I was a production assistant at MTV and I had been basically doing all this like kind of boring work. Right. I mean I was in inter- you know, it's kind of fun to write down what people say in an interview. At that point I right. was what, nineteen, twenty. But maybe? is that is that what you were doing? You were you were basically For a show called The Year in Rock. Okay. Yes. They would do interviews, I would log them, I would just help them build this, you know, what did they say that was interesting and I would highlight right. it. Um, but I had never done an interview, and they since they didn't care about this interview with Guns N' Roses, they just sent out the kid. Okay. And I was like the youngest oh, So you conducted the interview? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so okay. For, for the Guns N' Roses thing, yes, they sent. Yeah. And it was sort of like a little gift to me. Right, You know, right, she's been right. doing all this drudgery, so. Did you kill it? Did you nail it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was good. Yeah. But mo- mainly because... I had listened to the record and I thought, whoa, this is so my wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, Axl so Rose physically at that age. Right. I mean, oh my God. You weren't the only one. Holy moly. The yeah. dance, the whole thing. Yeah. I was, he had me at hello. <laughs> yeah. um, and he was so nice to me because he thought of me as like this young kid. Right. Um, and they weren't that famous yet. Right. They were famous in LA, but not on a major stage. So... 
Um, and it was great. You know, that was great. I, oh, that was very exciting. What was but, your ambition at that time? Do you remember, like, as you I were- was in college. My ambition was to get a college degree. Yeah. And I was making money in an interesting way. And I would use that money for tuition and books and living in New York City. So you didn't have a master plan back then, exactly. Oh, I thought I would be a political reporter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know it would be for MTV. Like, that didn't make sense to me. They didn't do any political coverage. And, but you, it and sounds calculated, though. You journalism, politics. To, yeah, CNN, yeah. television, yeah. to MTV, television, yeah. um, music. I mean, people, there was a great, there was this very large room in the middle of MTV News, and, and everyone was writing on their computers, and somebody could say, um, what was the name of Sun Ra's second record? And... You know, inevitably somebody, somebody else yeah. in the room would know, and and you know, what was it? How do you spell um, the keyboardist in Yes's last name? Right. It, it was it just like this, newsroom. It that was show amazing that to be show. surrounded by these people who were obsessed with world music, and this other guy, John Norris, would take took pop music so seriously. Like yeah. you just had to respect his love of Whitney Houston, even if you would never listen to it in a million years. The fact that he knew it backwards and forwards and cared about it and thought about it in terms of the hierarchy of music industry in general. And, you know, they were all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, I don't have to walk through the world as this judgmental asshole looking down my nose at people who like a particular kind of music that I don't. Right. There are it people that like, can get into anything yes. and be serious about it. If you're passionate about something, who yeah. cares? And this was this huge, you know, there's this guy named Tim Summer who was in this band called Hugo Largo. And he had a whole, you know, he had the whole college radio thing down and was friends with Michael Stipe and, um, you know, art rock like Glenn Branca. And you just, these people would lead you to all these other musical influences that yeah. you'd never would, you know, this girl from Virginia never heard of. It was like earth it was life changing. It sounds like Midnight in Paris, like like you know what I'm saying, like this, like yeah, a little. I mean, a little bit, except we we're all being paid by Viacom. I mean, right, there was right, a corporate right. element to right. it too. And I'm not saying it was you know a perfect place to work, but for somebody who was 19, 20 years old, it was it was like great. Yeah. So how, how did you end up getting a position there? So I I. Uh, I then worked at World News Tonight for a summer. I was a desk assistant. I would run scripts up and down to Peter Jennings. I would answer the phones. I'd put mail in slots. I would, you know, do nothing really of intellectual were you stimulation. Just, were you just like really good in, in, in like the interviews and like, I mean. In I, getting the internship? Yeah, like you were getting these pretty good internships. Here's the thing. If you do an internship or if you go to college at the University of Virginia, which is what a lot of my friends did, there's one radio station, there's Two TV stations, one newspaper. So what's that? A total of four internships to get. Right. You go to New York City, and there's, there's opportunities things. for slave labor all over the gotcha. place. Yeah. But yes, what happened was that my professor, who got me into CNN interview, that CNN person recommended me to Linda Corradina at MTV News for the Year in Rock interview. Linda Corradina used to work at World News Tonight. She got me to meet Steve Tello for that internship. I mean, one person led right. to another. I right. don't think I was particularly amazing in the interview process. I certainly wasn't smarter than other people, but I showed up. I was dependable. I was yeah. organized. I'm, I grew up in a middle-class household where um, you know, money is something you earn. And you think you do things the were work. expected of you. Yes. Did you? Were you hard on yourself? I had no yourself? trust fund. Sure, still am. Yeah. But 
I cope with it. Has that been detrimental? Is that something that you've had to, over the years sort of... Sure, it'd be great to let things roll off my back more about me and everyone else. But I also wouldn't have been as driven. Yeah. And I didn't know I was driven. And, you know, people, have to, people have to point that out. <laughs> yeah. yes. I see it. I mean, you, you, you've done so many different things over your life. And it's... it's uh... Well, I... And you're still I don't young. Know. Yeah, I, it's not, you know, I, I fell in love with music really early, and I think it was pretty masterful to end up somehow talking MTV into doing politics. So in answer to your question, what I did was get a degree, and I had some news background, and in my senior year at NYU, I worked for this uh, very old-school New York City reporter named Gabe Pressman, who covered City Hall, and so... By the time I graduated, I had covered City Hall, I had covered international news at World News Tonight, and um, so when I applied for jobs at local news stations, I got a job in Vermont. I was paid $13,500 a year. I almost qualified for food stamps. So you went to Vermont right after graduating? Yeah, I graduated in May. I think I had to start in July or June or something. I was wrecked with anxiety thinking nobody was going to hire me and the people who did hire me hired me because they could pay so little and I had to do my own camera work okay. which now you had to set course, it up and then go oh yeah oh wow carry it set up the lights yeah. do my own stand ups I would set up a light stand where I thought I should be focus on the light stand put a leaf where the light stand was move the light stand turn the record I mean this is when it was two separate devices turn the recording device on Go stand where the leaf was. Say, today, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Come back. Ooh, I cut off my forehead. Raise the tripod. Try it again. Oh. Ooh, I forgot to white balance. I'm all blue. Yeah. Come back. White balance. <laughs> now, it was talk about, like, maxing out my skills. The journalism part was neither here nor there. I could barely get all the technical stuff together. Right. Um, but How'd you learn how to do all that shit, all the technical stuff? They just taught me while they I was just taught there. You. I did a little bit of that at, at NYU as well. They have a pretty okay. good TV program there. Yeah. But nothing prepares you for three stories a day right. and driving back to the studio before the 6 o'clock news and editing it all. You know, it but was that must have prepared you for what you do everything. now. Yes. So when people say, like, well, you're a photographer now and you used to do TV, I don't get it. Well, what they mainly don't get is that someone would decide not to be on television because in America it is assumed that one should always want to be on television even if it wrecks your marriage and causes you a lot of grief as we have all seen in this you know reality TV has anyone's life turned out okay at the end of one of those shows no Um, so that's really what people are confused about but if they're confused about... Do, people, do a lot of people ask you that? Sure. Television versus still photography. How could you be an artist after that? And to me, at MTV and ABC and CNN and the Today Show I was also on, I was shooting 30 frames a second. And now I'm just shooting one. Right. The transition is not that hard. And there I was dealing with truth and... I feel like I'm still getting at a certain truth. It's oh, yeah. just a little bit more amorphous. It's my it's an emotional truth that really couldn't be part of my work for the first 10 years. Do, so, you, do you get recognized places? 
Depends on the place. So yeah. yes, when I go to the Fillmore, I get recognized. Right. Um, every you know, there will be these phases where I'll get recognized a couple of times in a row, and then I'll go somewhere like the grocery store, and I remember, you know, so so you kind of like have it on in the back of your mind again, and then, so. So I was at the grocery store, and this woman said, "Oh, I know who you are. You look so familiar." And I was like, "Yeah, I don't know." (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I was this. I was so. I was like a second away from going because she just went on and on and was guessing. And of course, I was like, "I don't know. No, I don't think we know each other." And I just wanted to shut her up and say, I used to be on television. But then she said, you're Quinn's mom. And I was like, oh my God, if I had said that, I I would have been such a jerk. Yeah. So, you know, every time you start getting a little uppity, it's like something happens to bring you back down to earth. Yes. When people say that to me, I know, when people say, I know you from somewhere, I, I always go... I used to live in Oakland. Did you used to live in Yeah, Oakland? exactly. Like, but that dance, sometimes it goes on too long. Exactly. And you're in a hurry, and you yeah. want to get to wherever yeah. you're going. Like, yeah. I can do it. I, I play that role. Right. What's your name? Yeah, like, how are you? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. But then other times, you just want to get on with it. Right, right. <laughs> but now, no. It, yeah, it rarely happens. Like, yeah. And if I go to see music... It may happen. Yeah. But even uh, most of the time, I'm just one of like the old people that the other youngsters wish weren't at the show because we're bumming them out. Do you like it a little bit when people recognize you or or is it kind of like annoying? It's, it's usually short and pleasant. Yeah. Not, I I don't, I don't miss it when it doesn't happen. Right. Put it that way. But, um, usually they're not like crazed, obsessive people who, who make it. Uh, a big impression one way or the other. Um, you know, I have had problems with people who are not completely mentally stable who have sought me out time after time. And there's a guy who sends me emails in all caps, you know, once every six months. And then That's I, like in love with you kind of thing? They're just, you know, just crazy. I don't know if yeah. they're in love with me, but obsessed. Yeah. And I've had some, I've had the, have the phone company, you know, like shut down some lines act, having access to me and, um, that's unpleasant, but that's really weird, rare. Weird but everybody, calls. you know, right now with the internet and with how accessible everyone is, it's, yeah. it's expected. I also get a lot can't of, hide anymore. It's anytime Tupac Resurrection is yeah. on TV, which I still have never watched. Yeah. I get a flurry of, you know, between Twitter and Instagram, and I get these people who want to talk to me about Tupac a lot. And basically, every word I ever said to Tupac is in that movie. So, right, right. really, you got. You know, you, know as, you know as much as I do. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Tupac fans are real diehards. I mean, I guess it's like Kurt Cobain for, sure. you know, some people. Absolutely, absolutely. Jim Morrison, that yeah. kind of thing. How did he strike you, though? Just we'll oh, gloss yeah. over that real fast. What do you mean? The, I, I just, just in a few words. He was very flirtatious, and yeah. that was the last thing I expected. I Why was really, that the last thing you expected? He's a rapper. Of course he's going to be flirtatious. I just didn't. You know, it's not the music I listened to. Right. I had I had gone at his interview from a pretty hard news point of view mm-hmm. um, be, because of all the legal troubles he had had. I knew him as somebody who spits at cameras and takes slugs at photographers and right. just seemed to be an unstable character. 
and he was smooth and flirtatious and funny and very likable. And um, were you scared going into it? Everybody was scared going yeah. into it. We had to go to Suge Knight's recording studio oh, and basically no. be padded down before yeah. we walked in, and everybody there was armed to the teeth. Yeah. I, I mean, not just because I'm like this, you know, white chick. I think everybody, every part of the crew walked was in worried. was like a little, yeah. you know, Chris Rock would have been worried. Every, right. you know, like not just, not just us. Sure. Suge Knight was not a man to be messing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you're you're in Vermont, uh huh, doing this shitty job. I don't know if it's shitty yeah, job. It was shitty hard. Pay. It was incredibly hard. And then I got promoted to be the eleven o'clock anchor. Okay, and I wore shoulder cards and like, I mean, it's, I mean, from, it's local, in Burlington, but it's, but it's yeah. big. For, you know, you're, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, but you're twenty years I'm old, twenty one years old, twenty two by this point. I got shoulder pads and like the anchor haircut to make right. me look like I, I was older, so I knew what I was talking about. Yeah, and I was running the teleprompter itself underneath the desk. Had to run Rolling it Rolling it up while you were yeah, reading it? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Every so often, like, it was such a cheap station, the gear was stripped. So every so often, all of it, it would like just automatically malfunction and all my scripts, which were typed on paper, fly by. What do you do when that happens? How do you improvise? You have your own copy of the script okay. in front of you, and then you do like the bird thing where you look down and up right, and down and right. up. Right, But it was trial by fire, so when, so when I... I got very, I got kind of depressed in Vermont because I don't like the outdoors and never have and had like. How do you not like the outdoors? What does that mean? I know, mean? it's a weird thing. But I we don't, live in like a beautiful place. I know, Berkeley is like I, gorgeous. Yes, I, there are a lot of things that are good about Berkeley. I like the beach outdoors, yeah, but I'm not, I, like I am too. not a hiker. I do not sleep on the ground. I know that it is politically incorrect to say that. That's not politically just, incorrect to say that's you don't sleep on the ground. That's fine. Okay, I don't so, like the, you know, whatever. So you want to get back to New York City. So I wanted to go back to, it was too much. Like I did it for 15, 18 months, a year and a half, something like that. And so I gave my two weeks notice, was so happy, did not know what I was going to do. Moved back to New York. Phil Morrison was working as uh, Robert De Niro's assistant's assistant. Okay. He wanted to go make a music video or a movie or something. So he let me sub for him as the assistant's assistant. Okay. So I did that until... Somebody at VH1 hired me to be a pro- an associate producer on a show on censorship. I put that together. Were you going to interviews and giving your resume to people? Well, I knew I, I certainly contacted all the old people. I had, all the people I had right. formerly worked back. with to see, yeah, please, anything you got, freelance, let me know. Yeah. And so I went from De Niro to VH1. And then while I was at VH1 for that six months, at the end of it, somebody at MTV got the flu and I went and subbed for her on camera no no all behind the scenes okay and then while I was there when she came back I mean I'm going to tell you the details just so that anybody who feels like yeah life you don't get lucky you know things like that don't happen they totally happen I was there working out of a box literally like had a notebook a pen a Rolodex and would move to the empty desk whoever was sick that day and John Norris who was as I mentioned before an MTV news reporter got promoted to be a VJ he really wanted to be a VJ instead so he was Kurt Loder's substitute at the time, and Kurt Loder already had a vacation planned to the Bahamas or wherever he was going, and they don't want to piss Kurt off because he's the big kahuna, 
and didn't want to cancel his vacation. But if John's not there to substitute for Kurt, they're screwed. Right. So they pulled me and my box. They said, didn't you used to be on camera in Vermont? I said, yes. They said, can you read a teleprompter? Mm. I'm like, do I have to run it myself? Right. And they said, no. And we have one. It's digital, and it comes up in the camera. And, the whole, and I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, that's yeah. totally cake. Yeah. And so I got there. I didn't do, like, excessive blinking, which is what... I didn't speak slowly. I just read it, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And I remember Kurt was in the in the control room, and he was just like, yes, I still get to go to the Bahamas. So, and he, that was... So that's MTV, how I got on that's camera. MTV News. Yeah. Okay. And, I, and when I called from Vermont to my former boss for, you know, the freelance work that I did over the summer at MTV, when I said, I'm coming back, do you have anything... He said, look, we might have some producing work from time to time, but you must know that you cannot go from being on camera in Burlington, Vermont, that's the number 92nd market in the country at that time, to the number one market in the country in New York. You know that I couldn't put you on camera. And I said, of course not, Dave. Don't, that's not, I'm not angling for that. I just want to work. I want to live in New York and I want to, I need to make a living. So this is the same person who sends me to the control room. Because he's in a pinch right. with Kurt Loder and says, read the teleprompter. And everybody was happy. And then it just never stopped. So after that, whenever they needed a sub, it was you? Yes. And after that is when 92 rolls around and they want to cover the election somehow. And, like, and I tell politics? them, yes, I did already. Yeah. I've done a gubernatorial election. I've done a mayoral election. It makes total sense. And now I would cover a national one. Right. And you happen to be a music kid, so you fit in with the MTV people, and you happen to be I grew up into there. politics. And you, yeah. I worked my butt off while I was in New York. I was at CB's a lot, but I also worked. I mean, there was a time where I would go to class till 2. I would work at World News Tonight till 6.30. I would change out of my shoes, my fancy like corporate suit, and let myself into the Viacom offices and write um, Headbangers Ball. For somebody okay. to read until 10 and then go to sleep at night and go to class the next morning. Yeah. Like, uh, not or five four, nights a week, but kind of like, thing. yeah. Yeah. And, you know, knowing all the members of Judas Priest's first and last names, you know, where else is that un- information going to be useful? Right, right. <laughs> you know? right. Headbangers Ball. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the odds of that? Yeah. It was like, see, Mom, me sitting in my room with my headphones on all those years, it actually did, how did pay they, off. How did they feel about it? My parents? Yeah. They liked that I was making a living at something I love to do. Yeah. I think they were surprised at how comfortable I was on camera. Nobody's all that comfortable at first. I mean, you, you're a dork at first, but... Um, you ended up relaxing and you, and you got really good at it. Do you remember that... The, was there like a specific... Sh- uh, shoot or whatever you were like okay I got this I'm comfortable I'm relaxed this is me this is my persona or did, did you like develop no in fact I would say that in Vermont because I had been taught you know there's certain affectation in local news it still exists yeah. right so I had that was what I needed to mimic and so that's what I was mimicking at age 22 which was were you trying to do that at MTV though well, when I started doing TV at, or being on camera at MTV, they actually sent me to a voice coach to get me to not talk that way okay. and get me to talk in my normal voice. They just wanted to pull apart everything that wasn't me and get can, me back to me. Can you still me. do that? Probably not. Okay. 
I would ask you to do, but I'm not going to. Yeah. I mean, so, so, and I tell you what, that was, that is a real uh, hallmark for the perfect job for you. If they are trying to peel away the affectations and get Get you to be you, you, you're going to be happy there. Yeah. So how long did you do the MTV job? Till I was five months pregnant with Quinn. The last thing I did was in 99. I did, I covered the impeachment of Clinton in, uh, in Washington. Okay. So like eight years, seven, eight years. I started in 91 and ended in 99. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm still friends with people there and Kurt and I are still friends and, um, but, uh, it's, I mean, for your listeners, they are so young that I'm sure they think that MTV is corrupt and ridiculous. But at the time we played music videos and even I did, I wasn't crazy about MTV's playlist then, but at, um, by having people like me around every so often they play something cool, you know? Um, so, so you, you, you were, got to have you a tiny to bit, a like tiny that. bit of influence yeah. about that, but tons of influence about what MTV News covered. So you know, I would, I got to do a piece on the Jayhawks, and I got to do pieces on on people who were not selling a ton of records. Right. I got to go to South by Southwest every year. I got to sort of do the indie rock thing. Can, um, can you remember any anybody that you championed there that you kind of? Try to bring well, before. I was friends with Soul Asylum, which, you know, the, their career didn't turn out so well. But at the, I had listened to them. They had 10 records before they finally got on MTV. And wow. I've, their, their songs meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like them all as people. And I feel like I had a little bit of influence over that. Mm-hmm. I, prob- I can't really think of anyone else. Yeah. <laughs> um, and MTV gave up on Soul Asylum pretty quickly, too. Um, so that is a recipe for disaster. I mean, people would constantly come up to me in restaurants and at concerts and yell at me about, why aren't they playing this? Why aren't they playing that? And I could really honestly say, you're talking to the wrong girl. Or band, like, bands they were trying not, to pitch to you, too? Yeah, a little bit. It was more viewers okay. who felt as passionately about music as I did. So I could right. understand where they were coming right. from. But... Really, like these deals were made at a level that I did not really want to be a part of. And was it like how radio stations are now, very corporate, and like they just get a playlist and they have like was, some? I was mean, anybody I, able to influence it with their with their taste? I really would say there down? were a few. It was very top down, very like you know whatever Clear Channel does. We had an equivalent. There were music consultants like Jeff Pollock and some people that had an incredible amount of influence Mm -hmm. but there were people at mtv who also decided that they knew what a hit was and you know the they 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 kind of did yeah (laughs) it wasn't the music that i liked but still when i turn on the radio it's not the music i like right so i'm just used to that in fact it's you know i i don't mind not liking what's mainstream Mm-hmm. I feel like almost sometimes my love for something is wasted on something that's super popular. It's like, well, everybody else likes that. I don't need to. I'd rather go find something obscure. Right. Not not a hundred percent. I'm not one of those people, but I can enjoy a you know a mainstream movie. Um, but I don't really feel a lot of connection to mainstream music. My favorite musician right now. This is so funny. This is such an old fart approach, but I. 
saw this article on like women to probably flavor pill or pitchfork or something, you know, female musicians that are going to put something out that's interesting. And I, I had time for whatever reason to skim through and listen to it. And I saw, I listened to this snippet from, uh, this, I think it's, her name is EMA. Okay. And she, um, and I thought, oh my God, this is so good. So I downloaded her record, uh, which this was about six months ago. And she used to be the lead singer of The Gowns, which is sort of like a noise art band. And she's from Wisconsin, and she's really young. Like, I mean, this first record, which is just unbelievably listenable and as an album. Like, really, one song leads to another. Not that it's a concept album, but it just means so much more to you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so much more impactful listening to it in its entirety, which is kind of rare, I think. And certainly not the way people her age approach albums right um and and then and i'm thinking god it's kind of cool like i was feeling cool because i liked how good this woman this girl was and then and her new record's coming out and it's out now and of course i can look up the name of it on my phone but and it's it's as good and then i got my copy of the new yorker and I open it up, and there's a fucking profile of her in it. And I just thought... You were like, oh, I, it's oh, not as underground as I thought. I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here I was, yeah. walking around, going, oh, my was favorite new it was singer right is for EMA. Yeah. Yes, there is that. And, man, it's like yeah. when I work, you know, when you... Anytime you open up Rolling Stone when I worked at MTV, it just was like, God, this news is so old. Everything in this thing is so old. Why would anybody read Rolling Stone? Right. And now when I read it, I'm like, who are they? Like, I'm so... I can't look at those kind of magazines. Yeah. yeah. In the dentist's office or whatever. Sure, you know? sure, sure. But when you open up The New Yorker, you know. I mean, maybe maybe she's that good. Like, maybe they're, The New Yorker's kind of cool, but really... Oh my God! Could it be like is she actually marketed towards forty-year-olds? Right. She's I mean, so. You should look her up. Or somebody in the New Yorker, you know, likes her. Is, you know. Yeah, is, could be. But I've I've heard of her. I'm, I'm I have an inkling that she is involved with this record label that I, I was involved with called City Slang in in uh, Berlin. That I think she may have a tie to them. Yeah. And that they were telling me about her. I think. But I'm you not should bother. And, I, and I've you definitely can... heard of the gowns. So, yeah. I, I don't know. I, there's a small degree of separation. I know that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to look up the name of her record just so I can but, tell you what it but is. But do you, still, do you still listen to albums? Is that like... Is that uh, how yeah, you do it? Comp- I, I, not, not exclusively. No way. You know? Yeah. I, I... Who has... Yeah, no, rarely. I don't have time for a whole album, but, but for you, some I'm reason, saying, like if not like when you sit down and specifically listen to that, but like if you're putting something on, will you put on an album or is it always just a how sh- badass shuffle? is she? So yes, cool. that, so she she had an album on, um, and I don't know if all her stuff is, but on City Slang, which is a label that I, I worked with uh, on my last album. So ah, yeah. So the first record is called Past Life of Martyred Saints. Uh-huh. That's not her new record, but that. I mean, there is not a bad song on the whole thing, and it's so unconventional. The song structure is there. It's melodic, but at the same time, every song doesn't have a verse-verse, break, chorus. You know, it's, it's. I think it's really inventive and I'll cool. I'll have to check it out. And I hope she's not like some... She sounds 
pretty druggy, but I hope she's not. I hope it's like she just she went through that phase and now right. she's going to hang in there and actually be an artist instead right. of a drug addict. Yeah. Um, because I hope she makes lots of music. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, yeah. I. They seem to really. They were championing her and. There's tell, a lot to champion. Yeah. Telling me. She, about I her think she's thing. really talented. And and the gowns, I'm not such a big fan. It's like too much feedback, too dissonant, too right. too unpredictable song structure. Like it doesn't give me a way in. You like something that has a beginning, middle, end, like a pop pop song. It doesn't structure. have to be that tight, but. Um, it can't meander too indefinitely. Okay. Can you still listen to Some of to your like, songs are, are a stretch for me they meander. in that way. Oh, they meander. Not all yeah. of them, though. No, not all of them. Not all yeah. of them. Um, can you still listen to, like, hair metal? What, do you, what, what, what happens to you know, your, your mind and body? You know, I swear to God, as that? I was leaving the gym today, this is so embarrassing that I'm telling you this. This is the kind of thing people put on Twitter and stuff when they have time, I suppose, but... A Cinderella song came into okay, my head. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't know what it's got till it's gone. And and I remembered. Oh yeah, I interviewed them once. Okay. <laughs> like, That's hilarious. That is hilarious. They were. And, they had a I small thought, stay. Yeah, but yeah. you know what? I preferred them to Poison. I actually yeah. had an opinion about it. Okay. That's insane. Yeah. Um, but how great that somebody was paying me to have to make a differentiation between Cinderella and Poison. I mean, you had a like that's very pretty cool, cool subculture. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I was into uh, Striper because I grew oh, up. Oh, because you're a God Squatter. I'm a God God Squatter. I like squatter. S Q U A D E R. Okay, Squatter. What is it? Oh, Squatter. God Squatter. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, yes. 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 That awkward moment where I you're was. like listening to the radio, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh my god, this is a Christian. You're enjoying the song, and then it's like, oh, this is Christian. Rock. This was happened to us. I, I drove up from LA the other day, and like it seemed like every station. Once we got into like the grapevine, whatever, like every station that we put on, it was like that. It was like, wait a second, hold on, no, 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 change it, change it, change it. It's like yeah, it's like all they of a sudden trick you. Yeah. Yeah. That, wait, that's a dude. That's a dude. Oh, no. It was that same <laughs> this, <laughs> where you're, like, checking out a... Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. Um, yes. were there, who, who else were you, like, hanging out with? Were there other bands that were, like, you were cool with? You say you knew Pavement, right, back in the yeah, day? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the bassist from Pavement lived near me. Mark um, mm-hmm. He was a stud, right? Yes, unbelievable. The the most handsome man was Clay Tarver and Chavez. Um, Wait, that was that was he, they were part of like the Matt Sweeney. Um, okay. What was his band at the time? I don't I know what remember. his band was. I I know his later like uh, uh, Super Wolf and the okay, stuff with yeah, uh, yeah with, with bearded man Billy Billy uh, Bonnie Prince Billy yeah. yeah. Not an attractive soul. That guy. An attractive soul. Yeah, I, well, I don't know him personally. Not an attractive I know girls who are so hot for him. Really? And I'm like, that, I cannot, that is like the camper guy who. That, but that's a, that, that's, that's, a that's definitely a thing. Yeah, yeah. it's not my thing. Yeah. And not my wheelhouse. It's like the Boo Radley thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is it like a savior thing? I could maybe, go clean maybe. this guy up. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Oof. Exactly. No, thank you. No offense, Will, if you're listening. Yeah, like he cares. <laughs> anyway. I think he gets plenty. Probably. 
Yeah. I can, we can only pick on him because he's like beating women off with a stick. Beating them off with like a stick. Defending, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Defending got himself you, with. Um, okay, so you... you so who, was I, who else was I hanging out yeah, with? I well, don't know. I think I dropped all the names I could possibly Yeah, drop. that's fine. You dropped a lot I of mean, names. I mean, yeah. I was friends with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and Pavement. So, mm-hmm. like, I had the feet in both worlds. But not, not that, you know, I, it wasn't like it was all celebrities all the time. Mm-hmm. I'd say R.E.M. and Tom Petty were my two most famous close, like, people I considered friends. Mm-hmm. That might be it. And, I mean, for the for that level. That's so like, yeah. I mean, they were nice, nice them, right? smart people who wrote their own songs. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Campbell would teach me how to, backstage would teach me stuff on the guitar. And, like, all that's really nice. But that said, if Mike Campbell walked by me today, he would not recognize me, okay. probably. So, um, there's a certain, you know, I've... I've I was lucky enough to be doing something that was really part of the zeitgeist at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, it's sort of hard to recreate that. Do you again. ever long for those kind of days? Like you have a different kind of life now. I do have a very different kind of life. I have three children and a husband and a house and a different career. And I'm pursuing an art career, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny little audience. Um, so it feels very different, but I feel so lucky to have fallen in love with something else mm-hmm. because there are so many people who don't want to do what they've been doing for 10 years still. They want to change, but they don't know what it is. Did you, and, is that what happened at the time? Were you like, okay, I've been here for almost a decade. It's time to move on. Well, I had fallen in love with Michael and was pregnant with Quinn. So I didn't want to work. I could not travel as much as I traveled for MTV with a child. I knew that. So... Um, I wanted time to think about what I wanted to do next. So we moved to Paris for 18 months and sort of... Right after Quinn was born? Uh, she was six months old. Okay. We were remodeling the house. It had to pick a place to live. It seemed stupid to move this down. This house here? Yeah. Okay. had to move down the street so that I could, like, production manage the construction. That is not how I wanted right. to spend my time. Right. Picking out window treatments. But you would and have. You would have. I, that that was like the natural thing to yeah, do. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I already got the kid. Like, do I have how much other sort of domestic life crap do I have to do? <laughs> like, I used to have an interesting life. Right. Let's keep it interesting. So we moved to Paris, and because uh, I had finished my contract just, and Michael had just put out a book, so we were both sort of free at the same time, which was going to be kind of rare. And that allowed me to not be tempted by stupid television stuff that allowed me to be with my kid. So the things that don't take a lot of time in television are syndicated shows. They generally tend to be entertainment-based. So, you know, I could be the host of Celebrity Justice. Right. You tape nine episodes, and they run throughout the season, and you're done. You just do it all in, you know, six weeks, and then you don't have to be there. But... There was were they certain, tra- were they were you getting that a lot kind of, of thing that's the, that the talk of? show yeah. um, that kind of thing and um, I mean also a, I there was a White House press job but I would have had I would have been second I would have hardly been on TV but still worked like seven days a week right. and been on call constantly and had to live in Washington D.C. Also, but not not through not through MTV, not through MTV, something through a network. Yeah, yes, which is where I always thought I would end up. That seemed like the 
the pinnacle of where I wanted to be. Yeah. But then when I got there, I already had experienced a lot of personal happiness in an unconventional way. And so you it was actually less did appealing. More, more what was geared towards your personality. Probably, right. But I didn't, you know, it's hard when the, when your colleagues assume that, you know, being on 60 minutes or being the white house correspondent is that is job That's perfection. Yeah. Um, for you to realize actually like those all, those, all those people look miserable yeah. and I wouldn't have actually been being doing journalism all that much. I would have been like the second tier waiting mm-hmm. around, which deservedly so, but I had other options, so right. I didn't go that route. But when I was in Paris, I f- fell more in love with photography and found uh, got assigned a couple of things because my husband was writing articles on them in the publication. Since I was already in Europe, th- you know, probably it was cheaper to send me than somebody else. And they he was writing to- stuff. Or New York Times Magazine. And about Paris, though? No, no, about okay. anything. Like, okay. one, one was on the ambassador to the Vatican, so I took her portrait. And so once Okay, so, do, but it was, he was writing stuff in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just because we were there. Yes. So. Um, and they trusted his writing, yeah, they, so they said, they wherever just, you're at, just do. Yeah, they just took a chance on yeah. me. Like, what, uh, it's not the end of the world. They just send somebody else if I really screw it up. Sure, sure. Um, so because those things worked out, you get more work like that. And all of a sudden, editorial photography was a possibility for me. So I just thought, oh, this works with motherhood pretty well. I've done shoots with Quinn in a backpack on my back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was encouraging at the right time. Yeah. And... Does that answer your question? Did you, well, do you, did you start to fall in love oh, with that? Oh, so do I miss do I miss being on TV? Yeah, that was what I no. asked. No. Okay. No, I do it every so often. I was doing some stuff for Bloomberg for a while, and it doesn't seem like work. I mean, it seems like this is, okay, I can do it, but I don't ever, I, it didn't excite me ever. Mm-hmm. And when you do it infrequently, what do you mean ever, even when you're I, no, 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 like now, now, now it and I, yeah. I did stuff for them for a couple of years periodically, and they were really nice and easy to work with, and and over the bridge. So why not? What kind of stuff were you doing for them? Just interviews with okay. tech people, like people who are doing innovative things. It was a series called Innovators. Okay. You can Google it. It's on Bloomberg TV still. I mean, on how the did web. You, how did you hook up with that? Did they just ask you, and you were like, eh, I'll oh, do it? Oh. Very funny story to me, but again, I don't know that you're going to want this. I love but the there other was one. a guy at NBC who basically took over NBC while I was working there and fired a whole bunch of people. And I stood up at the meeting and was like, "What about you know? How kind of how can you do that? Because I had a contract, so mm-hmm. he couldn't fire me." And he w- and I didn't do it rudely. I'm I sorry, mean, which I, period was this? This was when, uh, this was like 96, 97. Okay. I was working at MTV for half the year and NBC half the year. Okay. They each had 24 weeks and I had four weeks off, if that makes. So it wasn't like six months and six months, but they, they just... But you were tried. writing and producing or were you on camera? For, I was on camera. For NBC, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was a, I was on the Today Show as well as a magazine show. Okay. And um, anyway, so he was... I was very gentle, but apparently it was like that. You don't at MTV. We had discussions like that all the time. Right. It was. It was. But I didn't open. get the memo that that wasn't kosher. Right. So he basically paid out my contract and didn't use me anymore. That's dope. Yeah. <laughs> and I had a bee in my bonnet about him ever since. I was so mad, 
And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like you could just make a decision like that on a whim. Mm-hmm. And um, it had nothing to do with my ability or you know, like there was nothing fair about it. But guess what? Life's not fair. It was just a big fuck you kind and, of yeah, thing. Yeah, big fuck you. And um, so it turns out he takes over Bloomberg Television Wants to do stuff with my husband because my husband does a lot of business stuff. I told Michael I wasn't allowed to meet with him. Ooh. And this is like 20 <laughs> like, years yeah, later. Yeah, still holding a grudge. <laughs> yeah. And so we all go out to dinner because... The, my, this guy yeah, and you and Michael? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. and, and his wife, Andy Lack. And, um, and he, ba- he basically looks at me and says... I don't remember you at all. He says that? <laughs> Essentially. Did, did, did he know that you were what was preventing I had Michael to exp- from- uh, Yes. And he okay. was like, okay, so I hear you're mad at me or yeah. whatever. I hear, you know, I forget what he said exactly. He was good natured yeah. about it considering. And I explained to him what happened. He was like, okay, so I vaguely remember that. He said, basically, I had to let go of all the freelancers for budget reasons. It had nothing to do with you. Like, all the freelancers were gone. You took it the wrong way back then? Well, I mean, yes, but he could have, you know, whatever. Like, there's always exceptions. But he paid out my con. You know, what he said what he said. And anyway, when it came time to hire people in San Francisco, he knew at this point I had, you know, basically come around and gone... That's how you owe me an apology. And I had him write on the... We're at this Vandy Fair dinner, and he had his name tag, and I had him write on the back of it to my agent, I'm sorry I never got back to you. And I put it in her Christmas card. That's hilarious. With his name. Yeah, and she likes... So funny. You know, this is, what, 15, 20 years later? It's ridiculous. So anyway, when he had to hire people in San Francisco, he thought of me. Okay. So it's worked out well. That worked out well. Yeah, it's funny. That's but crazy. anyway, it didn't re, it didn't reignite some passion to do that. I'm much happier in the dark room. I'm much happier. I lose track of time behind the camera. I'm the process is really fun. I love working mainly by myself. I like working in the dark. I like the magic of the chemistry. I still work with film a lot, and mm-hmm. maybe ten years from now I'll feel differently. But. It's hard to imagine. Do you think things seem to go in, in ten year? I mean, for me at least, that, that seems to be the case where it'll be, uh, yeah, ten, ten year waves of, of interest for me. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? The great thing about art, though, is you can do it till you get old. Yeah, I couldn't be on TV as an old person. I don't right. think I had. Not I didn't in, have that consciously society. in my head, but you know, I love. There are a lot of artists I love that when you, know, when you look at Matisse's cutouts um, you know, when he was losing his eyesight and mm-hmm. almost 90 and I find that stuff inspirational cool you gotta take the long view yeah so you, anything that you see right now where you wanna go or, or you just you're content in the, in the photography for now and yeah I, w- I mean I'd love to have a New York gallery eventually so mm-hmm. I've got stuff being sold on both coasts you hear um, that in New York but the work you know the work has to earn its place there so yeah i just all i can do is do the work yeah doesn't if i try to think about what's going to be um what's popular it it, that's just the wrong way to go right no good good will come with that and my stuff tends to be fairly sublime and the contemporary art world right now is very into a little bit of Lots of shock, you know. More, more cynical, maybe. And well, my God, the, not this Whitney Biennial, but the the last one I went to. You know, there were a lot. There were photographs incorporated into it, 
but you know, there was like there was a guy who was like how nailing his penis to a wall and taking pictures of it. Just like mm, that's not really that. my. People did that a long time ago. It was like that's... <laughs> did they? Yeah, I mean, in the seventies, people, you okay, know, maybe Chris may- Burden or something like uh, that, you know. Yeah, so that's very that sells. Bob right Flanagan, now. yeah, okay. My not, my my me. work is a little bit more sublime. Yeah, so it'll, it'll come back around. You know we'll what I'm see. saying? Yeah, sticking in there. Got to do whatever feels natural. I'm rooting for beauty. Yes, good. But meaningful beauty. I understand that some you know there's certain pictures that are just superficially beautiful and that's it and I don't feel like that's the kind of stuff I make but I think there's a toughness and a um, grit to it that yes. is very important to me mm-hmm. well cool we've come full circle I've been sitting here in the Claremont Hotel with Tabitha Soren Lewis in a bathing suit and a sarong that's right that's right <laughs> if you didn't know it's only one person I would do this for oh not me, but someone yes, else. Yes, <laughs> no, of course. <laughs> Thank you, Tabitha. I appreciate it so much. Um, we need to take a photograph. Can we do it? We can just do head. We uh, do? We can do busts. Seriously? We can do busts. All right. Or I can, t- I can make it later if you want out of photos of you on the internet. Either way. I'd rather. Can I just send you one? Or yeah. Don't we have one of us together anywhere? I don't know. We'll, I can. I can make it work later. Don't worry about it. You can take an iPhone. Is that what you just got an yeah. iPhone picture? Yeah. All right. All right. Say Jeez, bye to the people. I'm so shy. All right. Goodbye. All right. Thank you, people. Thank you, people, for listening. The Wandering Wolf Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. You tell me what the hell I'm doing. Tell me what I need to do with my life, where I'm going, what's important. These feelings arise from time to time, the questioning. You can also donate. You want me to worry less about my life? Give me a million dollars. The Wandering Wolf Podcast at gmail.com. You can, you can uh, give me money on PayPal through that. Or you can go buy... Uh, one of my rap tapes at yoniwolf.bandcamp.com. That's a very pedestrian way to go with that. I thought I was above that years years uh, past. I don't even know what Bandcamp is. I think I said that several times. No, I've never even heard of that. But you know what? It's pretty cool. I put a little thing up there. You can download it. The money goes straight to me. Not bad. All right, what's next? I don't know. I have a couple of Texas dates. June 11th in Denton. June 12th, Austin, Texas. Come see me. I'll be there. I'll be sitting at the merch table at your disposal. At the disposal of the universe. Down the disposal of the universe. And then back out some other chute through a cornhole or wormhole, whatever they call them, into heaven. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right. I'm going to let you guys go at Yoni Wolf on Twitter. Whatever. Find me. Find me. Speak to me. Save me. Save my soul. Let's take it out of here. I'm going to get, I got to get outside today and just take a long, vicious, aimless walk through the streets. If you see me, if my head is bowed, my eyes are to the sidewalk, just let me pass. Allow me to pass. 
Take care of yourselves. Have a great week. I'm not, by the way, I'm not in a bad mood. I feel good. I'm actually energized, and I feel like I'm focused. I just don't know what on, okay? It's a little blurry, but focused on the blurriness. It's like a Gerhard Richter painting. All right? You know what I'm going to say. Keep wandering. Something like that. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my holy moly. Oh my god. <sighs> yes, unbelievable. <laughs>